You're all very welcome to this event in the BAFTA Selects series. Um, in this series, BAFTA has asked some uh, exceptional women in the industry to choose films written uh, or directed by women that have either been nominated for or won a BAFTA. Um, and as you know, Rosamund Pike has selected Zero Dark Thirty as her film. And I'm delighted to say that she's with us this evening to explain a bit about why she chose it and to talk about the film. Thank you. Thanks for coming. <laughs> I yes, thank you. I suddenly for... wondered whether I could persuade anyone to, to watch it again on the big screen, and I thought maybe there'd be no one here. It's extraordinary watching it on the big screen, actually. It, it is. is uh, a very intense experience. So why did you, first question, obvious one, I suppose, why did you choose this film? Well, I, I remember the, very clearly the first time I saw it, and I remember being, being really riveted by the way, um, the way Catherine told the story of this woman and the way that Jessica Chastain embodied her. Um, I just found it so startling, this, this portrayal of, a, of, a, of, of, a, of single-mindedness and obsession and the way that the camera and the storytelling just puts us in her journey and in her obsession, and we go with her. And Jessica is brilliant in it. Mm. And I think that I felt that her and Catherine must have been a really exceptional team together. You know, I think, obviously, m the real Maya, whoever she is, had to remain a secret. Yes. But I think, and I don't believe that Jessica ever met her. Um, right. Mm. Maybe spoke on the phone. I mm. don't know, but had but but for you feel that she knows exactly who she is through every fibre of her body, and that I found it so exciting when I first saw it. And um, you know, I, I yeah, I just think the way the camera watches her and the way that Jessica holds your attention without ever sort of appealing for it. I, I was going to that was also was going to ask you is watching it again now. Were there, what particularly about her form, performance were there things that you hadn't seen previously? Actually, that you, you know noticed? what, some of the same things that, I, that made an impact whenever I saw it, you know, still made the same impact again. You know, mm. there were I realised there were details of that performance that had stuck with me. You know, the way she pulls that scarf off and takes that sweet, you know, whatever, you know, and you just, it's, you feel in that scene when she's, you know, before the, the shootout, um, as she comes out in her car, you know, it, it, it's so economical, but it tells you everything you need to know about the way that woman's looking after herself. You know, taking some protection and yet clearly neglecting some very core elements of her mm. health. You know, I think it's, there's, there's, there's just so much non-verbal <laughs> uh, communication. Um, and I think it's a kind of masterclass, really. Um, and, and yet it's quite, it's very interesting the way they've approached her character, both in the, the way she's written and directed and acted, because you really, you don't know a great deal about her inner life, do you? Um, you know, you, you don't know a lot about her backstory. You don't really know about her, her, mo her motivation. It's very much in the moment, isn't it? No, you feel that, you know, that she's young and that she's given up her life as a kind of idealist mm. um, to the CIA, which I think, you know, I played an FBI agent and, um, and met many people in the FBI and there's probably a similarity in that, you know, there's a huge sense of idealism there and a belief that you can, 
you know, get the bad guys, I think. Mm. Um, and I think when she has that conversation with James Gandolfini, and you just see this, this person who has dedicated 10 years of her life to this mm. and lost a part of herself. I think that's the other thing that really strikes me about the film, is at what point she comes in with a kind of sense of self and at what point does she lose that? Because I think she does lose it. Mm. And I think she's completely hollowed out by the end. I mean, completely. And I think that, that those questions about what was it all for you know, was it worth it? Can you ever say that something like that is worth it? I think those are the questions that Catherine Bigelow leaves us with at the end. Is, is Maya one of the one of the characters that you would have loved to have played? Oh, Do you I think, think about probably, that? Yes, definitely. I think any actress who saw that film. Don't know. Are there, are there actresses in the audience now? I don't know. Are there? No, none. <laughs> yes. Um, you know, I think everybody saw that and thought you know, there's a chance to just, you know, you know and, and it's not about being a woman. It's, a, it's the fact that she's, you know, there's never a speech in that film about, you know, is it tough being one of the, one of the women in a, in a kind of men's club? You, you know, how, how much harder did you have to work? You know, were you pushing against the glass ceiling? She just, she's too busy <laughs> to kind of engage in that conversation. She's, she's got a mission, and she's and, and I just think that's a kind of great dignity that Catherine Bigelow does that character. Um, you know, you get a few looks from the guys, but they never articulate them as such. Mm. You know, um, and I think that I think it is unusual the way that that Catherine Bigelow holds a close up because she knows she has an actress that she can hold it on and that she will fill it, and that you will be intrigued by her thoughts and probably not really have had enough of them by the time the camera leaves. Um, and it takes a, a bold filmmaker and, a, and an actress who is fully inhabiting a character. You know, I, don't, I doubt Jessica was thinking, oh, what am I going to convey in this moment? I think she was just through and through Maya, and, and she was just inhabiting the truth of every moment, and the camera captures that. But. Um, yeah, I think any actress would love the opportunity to to embody a woman like that, who's the centre of a story, who has who has that drive, who has that fierceness, and who's kind of you're exploring what the cost is of living that intensely mm. and and sacrificing so much of your of your personal life, as you say, whatever the personal life might have been. And it's interesting, even right up until the very last shot, you, you still have, even though at the end of a very long film... You don't you, know if I've found what you haven't, you haven't had enough of, of trying to work around, no. have you? You actually want... Where did she grow up? I don't up? know, Who but you want parents? to know what, what, what's she going to do next? How, the, how does normal life pick up again? What happens? You know, you're, you're still wanting to know how she's going to process it all at the very end, aren't you? Absolutely. Um, you know, in this adversary, you know, there's a lot of films about... You know, this idea of this nemesis. Um, you know, I was exploring this. I don't know if anyone saw a film I made called Hostiles, which was, uh, came out last year and, and with Christian Bale. And he, if you didn't see it, then this won't be so interesting. But if you did see it, <laughs> um, you know, C Christian is a, is, a, is, a, is a military man. It's set in, in, it's a Western, and it's set in 1892 in New Mexico. And he has spent his life fighting what were, what were called at the time the, the Indian Wars, um, fighting Native Americans. 
on their land, and he is asked to escort a dying Cheyenne chief back to his burial grounds in the north. And, and this is a man who has been Bale's character's adversary his whole career. And a lot of what Christian was talking about making that film was what happens you know, when a hate has been inbred in you and you've lived with it. And that is the kind of, that has made sense of your life, that has made sense of your career. What happens when that nemesis dies, which happens at the end of our film? And I was thinking that watching this, you know, where are you when this, this silent adversary who you've sort of pitted yourself against, you know, and you've tried to outsmart, and yet, you know, suddenly there it is and has anything, does it, does it give you any satisfaction? Mm. Because the feeling is, is not, really. There's a sort of emptiness. There's the sense that other people take hold of your story, take it away. You know, everybody saw that rather awful photograph of people cheering in the command centre. And, mm. and suddenly, you know, what is undoubtedly a dogged pursuit of, of a truth is kind of turned into something very, very different. And you probably wonder. And I think Big Load's interesting, you know, watching that raid. I mean, she's a master of tension, isn't she? She's a master of, you know, it's incredibly tense, that whole art sequence. And, and you know, people have accused it of being a very pro-military film or pro-American foreign policy. But there's doubt all the way through that film, for me. You know, the way she focuses on those children, the way she puts across that, you know, Osama bin Laden might also have been a loving father. You don't know. He might have been. You see children who are distraught. And it's a, I think there's doubt about the actions all the way through. Well, and there's, a, there's obviously there was a lot of controversy around the film when it first came out, about, um, which we won't go into in great detail now because it was chewed over very in great detail at the time. But, um, you know, about the extent to which it was accurate, that did, did information that came from those deten detainees under torture, did that actually lead to the um, uh, uh, to the locating of bin Laden or not? But also, a lot of the controversy was about the glorification of torture. And I don't know about you, but I certainly find watching that that every time it returned to a torture scene, I winced and I, I, I you know, I, I didn't want to see it. I, I didn't feel to me that the torture in any way was was glorified. It felt like it was incredible, something that was incredibly brutal. What did you feel watching it? And what do you feel I, about I, that argument? I can, I can, I can, I agree with you. I, um, I didn't think there was any relish there. And I think it, we were again, we were in Maya's body. We were in, we were feeling with Maya. We were feeling, you know, her sort of pitting her own will against the situation she found herself in trying to make sense, but also, I suppose, toe the line, you know, toe, toe the line that you're expected to at that point. But um, no, I think, I think the sort of, I think she's constantly sort of questioning the, the flawed information that comes out of that scenario. Mm. You know how you can trust anything that comes out of people under that sort of pressure. I just, I, I, for me, that's there's no glory there, no glorification. But other people might disagree. I know they did at the time, um, and I know that the writer said that well, it's it's to be viewed very much as a feature film, not as a documentary. And yet at the same time, it's based on incredibly thorough research about real events. And that's a sort of that's a very difficult line that films based on real people and particularly mm. on very recent events have to tread all the time, isn't it? 
Yeah, I think yeah. it's whether it feels truthful. I think on the end, it's about whether something gives you an experience that feels authentic. And for me, this gives me an experience that feels totally authentic. You know, obsession, drive, passion, doubt, all the kind of interesting things at the, at the heart of any very singular mission like that. Um, and when you yourself um, depict a real character, either particularly living, I suppose, or recently passed, mm -hmm. do you feel a, you must feel a particular responsibility to that person? Yeah, well, I mean, I'd love to talk to Jessica. I don't know Jessica Chastain at all. Um, um, I recently played Marie Colvin, who was a, a war correspondent for the Sunday Times in a film called A Private War, which is, will come out in January, February, January, one or the other. Um, beginning and of February, I think. Beginning of February. <laughs> and uh, it just opened in the States, so I, I'm a bit confused. Um, but, 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 you know, that, 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 uh, in, in playing Marie, and, and I had a documentary maker as my director, there was, there was no doubt in my mind that I wanted to become her, totally. You know, I, I, a, a, for two reasons. One, because Matthew Heinemann has, has made documentaries thus far, so he has a kind of, you know, his experience is in, is in revealing the truth about real people, and I sort of wanted to give him that same experience as he, as he trans... Um, what's the word? Transitioned. Yeah. Transitioned, thank you, to narrative. Mm. Um, and two, because, because Marie was someone who was so fiercely loved by those who knew her, and it, her death is so recent... And, and when I started watching footage of her, I became so compelled and kind of intoxicated with her. It, it, there was no way I wanted to co-opt a version of Marie into something I wanted to do. I wanted to give an audience the experience that I had watching Marie, mm. which was, the, you know, I've never encountered a woman who's, whose whole life is etched in her body in the way that hers was, and, and in her voice, and in the way she moved, the... Obviously, she, she, I don't know if you, if you don't know her, she, she, you might remember that she, was, um, she wore an eye patch. She lost her eye in, in Sri Lanka in 2001. Um, it's interesting that the actual span of this film is quite close to ours. And again, mm -hmm. it's a 10-year it's a span mm. that, that's condensed into two and something hours. Ours is shorter. But, um, but again, it's interesting to see you know, how you get into someone's mind over a span of 10 years. Yeah. I mean, I have to say, I, I was... I know we're, we're primarily here to talk about 0.30, but I was lucky enough to um, see a preview of, the, of A Private War, and it's a, I urge everybody to go and see it. I really is. It's an, it's an mm. astonishing film. and um, I, I, I knew Marie not well, but I met her quite a few times, and it's, it's really it's like you've, you've bottled the essence of her in some way, mm. but, also, yeah. but also physically inhabited her, like you say. You know, she was so singular in her physicality and you just absolutely captured it but I yeah I and and the film is about Marie's life as a war correspondent and her her torment the torment that that um, visited upon her and how she coped with that and ultimately about her 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 death in, in Syria um, and I watching it I actually I, I worried about you having embodied her so much and cared so much about bearing witness to what she bore witness to mm. that would you be end up being as haunted 
by some of what she saw as she was? If that's not a very personal question, you know, does that, because people wonder that about when, you've, when you play such a difficult role. Yeah, I, I, you, I, mean, I watch that off. and I think, you know, you, it's a lonely role that, I think. Whatever Jessica went through playing that, I, I feel that that's a lonely experience that I see on the screen. You know, that's a woman who, you know, even that look she has in her eyes when she's asked if she has any friends. You know, I imagine you have to be so in your head, you have to be so contained when you're filming that for three months or whatever it was. Mm. Um, Marie, thank God, had a great sense of humour, which uh, probably more so than Maya, um, in whom humour seems to be lacking, I would say. But uh, not that that's a criticism, because, uh, but, but, you know, Marie definitely had her, she had two outlets, really. One was humour and one was drinking. Um, or maybe three, Some, one was cigarettes, too. Um, but, but I think that Marie, who had those outlets, you know, that was really just a sort of bandage. And, and the real dark nights of the soul happened when she was sometimes sober, sometimes drunk, but when she was alone. Mm. Um, yeah, I mean, the, bus the business of acting is, is to trick your mind into believing you're someone else and to believing that these situations are real and your body responds accordingly if, it's, if, if you get it right. And, and then your body <clears throat> produces... Your body is, separate, is very separate from your mind. You can trick your mind and the body will produce a racing heart, sweating, heart palpitations, churning stomach, things that you're not asking it to, it, it does it, and then that transports you into the reality of the situation. And that's, that's the kind of mystery, the sort of wonderful thing that you're hoping to get to. It doesn't always work, but that's, what, that's when it's right, that's what it feels like. Um, and certainly with Marie, and I expect it was a similar thing in this, um, yeah, I still feel it in my body, I suppose. Um, you know, Matt, Matt um, our director, and I don't, you know, there's a lot of things here. I want to know how much, you know, how, you know was that whole end sequence filmed with advisors who were actually there? Was, I, I don't know the answers. I wish I'd mm. had a chance to talk to Catherine, who actually is a mentor of Matthew Heinemann, our director, and, and I know she's really? seen our film, but I didn't mm. meet her. Um, um, but Matt, when we were making our film, his, his great anxiety was that it wouldn't feel truthful enough because it was a narrative, not a documentary. So when we went to film in Jordan, which I know they filmed a lot of this in Jordan too, um, <clears throat> he interviewed hundreds of people to be the background of our film and then started to realise that there were refugees from each of the war zones that we were depicting currently living in Jordan. And so he cast about as authentically as you could. So in our arc... In Iraq, all of our Iraqis were Iraqi refugees living in Jordan. We, when we got into Homs in Syria, everybody was Syrian. And, it, and it, you know, we, we discussed it briefly before the screening, mm. but there were, um, you know, there were moments that were so, so painful because what happens if someone comes into a film, they're, they're you know, they think, oh, it's something that they recognise and they're going to get paid. So there's a scene where Marie hired a, 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 a great big excavator to come and excavate the site of a mass grave that she had had a, a tip-off about in Iraq. And we had these women who were Iraqi and they were, you know, dressed... Um, and 
you know, right before we started, they were all talking about, well, I'm nearer the front, you know, am I going to get paid more because I'm, I'm standing, you know, closer to the thing, does that mean I'm going to get, you know, how much, when are we going to get lunch, you know, how many bottles of water can we get and all this. And then the, the, our digger started to dig and remains, human remains that the art department had dressed in, you know, a couple of days before started to come up and suddenly it stopped being a film. Suddenly these people were transported to whatever horrors that they've witnessed and the kind of, uh, some reality of this scene took over. And because we were shooting digitally, we could just follow it, it could just go. And the scene took its own momentum. The light was falling, the women started singing a prayer for the dead, which was not asked for, it just, everything erupted in a way that it can. When, yeah, um, and the parts, the way it's shot and everything, it's very, it's almost indistinguishable from a documentary in parts, isn't it? You know, and it was a very blurry line. Yeah. You know, it, and it's a, it's a confusing line when you start to feel that situations, they're not, it's not drama, and yet it's clearly drama because I'm not Marie. And yet there were times when I don't think the people who I was interviewing realized that I was an actress and not a journalist. Mm. One woman who was telling me the story, a Syrian woman who in the movie tells me the story of her, of a child she lost. She just said, suddenly she looked at me, she said, I don't want these to be words on paper. She said, I want the world to know this story. And I, I thought, oh my God, she, she wasn't asked to say that. I thought she doesn't, suddenly the cameras are gone and she, she's sort of forgotten that I'm an actress or something. And is that a way of working that you would like to repeat? I mean, did you <laughs> think that it had great value? Or, or it was almost too intense? For this material, I think it was, it was perfect. Yeah. You know, I'm not, I'm a big believer in actors. <laughs> you know, so there's a lot of, you know, a lot of people sort of praise the non-actor in films and sometimes it, it's amazing. And this was a case in point. I also love working with actors too. So I'm not saying that that's going yeah. to be the only way, um, you know, I mean, this film is, I think, you know, I've worked with Jason Clarke, I think, and I think, I always come back to this performance of Jason Clarke's in this yeah, film and think, fantastic. you know, it's one of the best things he's ever done. But that shows, I think, that Catherine Bigelow, you know, Stephen Delane's wonderful, Mark Strong's wonderful in it. They're all so detailed. It shows what a, what a great director she is, because I think she's, I, I guess, I've never met her, I guess she's super specific. And the sort of, the layers in each, in the, new, the nuances of each scene are very really clearly detailed. Um, I sense that, you know. There's no sort of, ob no one's taking the obvious route through these scenes for me. Mm. Um, there's a sort of, you know, there are actorly habits that people get into, especially when they're doing, they're doing lawyers or army or CIA or, you know, there's a kind of, there are a lot of tropes that are learned from other movies and I feel in this one that I'm not seeing those, those things borne out. You know, mm. A lot of actors know how to play a CIA agent because they've, they've seen other actors play CIA agents. And I feel this is all different here. Did you, was it a hard choice to pick this one? Were there other contenders? Well, I mean, sort of selfishly, I suppose I really wanted to see it again, especially having just played um, um, Marie Colvin. I, yeah. I, I thought I haven't seen this since I've, you know, gone on this journey as a sort of single-minded woman in pursuit of the truth. 
and I really want to see if this still has the same impact on me. Yeah. And it does. Mm. There are a lot um, of similarities, aren't there, between the characters, actually, and I think it's living in a constant yeah. state of adrenaline and fear and what that does to somebody as well. There's a lot of similarities. And a feeling that that gives you a sense that you know your purpose and what, what is your purpose when that's over? Mm. That's the big question that we're left with at the end here, but yeah. in our film we see all the way through. You know, we don't know, and we don't know about Maya. We don't know what she was like in her home life. We just, she's sort of unformed, isn't she? Um, whereas Marie Colvin was someone who was very chaotic and not really able to manage her life. And I think sometimes those people, when they go out and when they find themselves in a situation equally chaotic, like war, they find a sense of calm. Because oh. <laughs> the two things, two negatives, cancel each other out or something. Hmm. Are we being flashed? Is that a sort of I shut up? I think we're, no, I think we're all right. I think we're all right. <laughs> um, just broadening it out a little bit, I, I wonder, um, I'm interested to know, given this is <coughs> a, a series with, about women directors and writers, what sort of, roughly what sort of percentage of scripts that come <sighs> to you to read are, are either written by or would be directed by women, do you think? And is that would that mm. be would that be and would that be a factor in in choosing? It's not a factor for me in choosing. No, no. I'm only looking really for a director who has to make the film. Who that this is the one that they have to make. I need to know that. Um, I've just worked with I've just worked with Marjan Satrapi. <laughs> Um, and I was quite tempted to see Persepolis again on a, on a big screen, mm -hmm. I have to say. Mm. Um, and we, we made a film about Marie Curie called Radioactive. But I think, you know, Marjane, it, she's a perfect match for that material because of her imagination, because of her slightly psychedelic way of looking at the world. It's not because she's a woman. Yeah. Um, Marie Curie was a singular, very idiosyncratic, outspoken, kind of unpliable, complicated, funny person. And, you know, towards the end of her life, she was asked, you know, it must have been very difficult doing what you did being a woman. And she just said, believe me, I suffered much more from lack of funding than I ever did from being a woman. <laughs> which is something Although that the two I, might have been interlinked in which, some way. <laughs> maybe, it's yeah. true, maybe. Um, mm. But yes, I have. I I I I tend not to sort of. I know I should probably in this moment be sort of stating the difference. I mean, I I I think it's interesting. Um, if you go on the BFI website, there's a there's quite an interesting in their filmography section. There's quite an interesting um, section on equality, sexual equality across all departments in film. And if I take my first film, which was the Bond film, Die Another Day, and compare it with the last British film that came out, which was in Tebe in yeah. 2017, mm. the, sort of, the, the, the distribution between men and women across all departments, it, it's funny. I mean, when you look at it, the, the, the fact that the Bond film was so male-dominated across all departments, and in Tebe was really evenly distributed, I think that's quite a very interesting thing mm. to look at. Mm. Um, um, but probably still not enough scripts or by women writers or directors. 
No, although you know, I'm I'm producing. Um, I've got. I've sort of. I've optioned a book called The Banker's Wife, as a novel, and. You know that there has sort of been no better time right now to be making stories about women, and we've got this incredible team of Meredith Steam, who created Homeland. Um, Leslie Linkerglatter, who's been the director of Homeland, um, and two fantastic female producers. And I've never worked in that way before with such a kind of mm. close-knit group of women. And it, it feels amazing. I mean, it really does. It feels, I don't think it's, I don't think it's our femininity that's driving it. I think it's our brains, <laughs> you know. Mm. Um, but it's it's certainly a, a good experience, and it and it feels good. Any idea when that might surface? It'll be written this year, and we might start working on it at the end of two thousand nineteen. Yeah. I'm going to throw some um, questions out to the audience. If this gentleman here on the end had his hand straight up in the air. But one thing I think about all female. One thing I'll just say about all female directors. They sort of hate being asked to talk about. They hate being asked to, you know, join in a symposium of sort of female directors. They'd rather just be in a room, talking on a panel with lots of directors. Yes, so you know. kind of female war correspondence right. is exactly right. is exactly the same. Yeah. Except, yeah, in many ways, being a female war correspondent, you get away actually with a lot with more. With a bit more. With a lot a, more you're a third sex, Marie would say sometimes. Yeah, and often, <laughs> especially because people don't think that in certain parts of the world don't think that you can be up to very much how wrong they can be. Sorry. Um, Rosamond, thank you so much for selecting this. It's the first time I've seen it since the first time it was out, so it was quite fascinating to see how it compared. Uh, what I was interested in was that the character Maya actually dictates the action. She doesn't go into action at the end of it. I'm just curious to know from a from my own perspective as an actress, do you do you get many action-driven female roles? Like, I mean, if you, I mean, with people like Emily, Emily Blunt with Edge of Tomorrow, and of course Gal, Gal Gadot sort of with Wonder Woman. Mm. Or do you get many? Because it would be interesting to see. What I've been looking at is like, well, when you look at like some of the past movies that have been action-driven, male action-driven characters, you know. It'd be interesting to see well how would that work with, you know, principally female leads in the roles. So I'm just curious to know what sort of have you had many scripts across your desk which have been uh, focused in that way? No, I've sort of I've sort of I did a film with um, John Hamm called Beirut, and there was one time when John Hamm delayed the start of the film because he was going off to film Baby Driver. And I'm kicking myself to this day for not saying, they were trying to recast John Hamm for a while until they realized that they couldn't do better. And I thought, why the hell didn't I say, rewrite his part as a woman and I'll play him? You know? Because <laughs> that sometimes is the way to do it. Um, but it's interesting what you say, because as I would alluded to, I played an FBI agent in a film which has not come out yet. And I, I had such a great time in the New York FBI office meeting counterterrorism squad and, and really getting to know these women very well and realizing their training and what they were capable of. And I was really ready to play a very formidable agent indeed, but sort of so very feminine. You know, they, you'd never look twice at these women for sort of, you'd never, they would, might look like a mom, you know, if you saw her, someone sitting in a bar. But then in the film, when I saw it the other day, I thought, oh, there you go, you see. 
I'm not actually required to do anything. I'm there, you're supposed to believe in me as an FBI agent because of what I say, not because of what I do, and I regret that. Um, doesn't mean you shouldn't go and see the film when it comes out, but, <laughs> <laughs> um, but, but it's, it is surprising. Action is sometimes taken away from, from women. Well, often is, I'd say. Um, but then I suppose in a private war, Marie is in the thick of action, but her, you know, she, she the, the line is she saw more war than most soldiers, which is true. And when she was treated for PTSD, they said, you know, you've got to take this seriously. You've actually been in more combat than most soldiers I see. But she was right there in the firing line, but, but with a notepad and pen. Um, but yeah, it's a. I mean, it's a. It's it's a good question. Um, I haven't had to think about it apart from in that FBI film for a while. Um, but then that's also because the sort of more psychological roles tend to draw me, I suppose. Yes, I like the description. The description: glamour and intrigue. That's what draws you, isn't it? The mixture of glamour and intrigue. <laughs> this lady yeah. with the red jumper in the front there had her hand up as well. Hi, Rosamund. I was wondering, what was your most personal role to date? Uh, or the character you most identify with? What do you mean by personal? Like, personal... You most identify with that you felt drawn to? Like, similarities in real life? I don't know. I think, to be honest, I do what I do because I want to get away from myself, really. <laughs> I think that's the truth. I think it's a sort of deep, deep escape, deep form of escapism. So um, you, sorry. So you're looking for roles that are most further from your I think I'm looking for roles with qualities that I would like to possess and, and sadly don't. <laughs> it's the truth. What? You know, what like courage or sort of, um, <laughs> I don't know, Nobel Prize winning brain or um, uh, anything like that. It's, uh, it's, I suppose I bring empathy to the table and get inside the skin of someone who's sort of better than me in every way, usually. Um, but during the, you know, during the process of filming, you, you, you feel very intertwined with someone. You, so it's a process of falling in love in a way. You know, I think I fell in love with Marie and I think I fell in love with Marie Curie too. And so I did with Ruth, Ruth Williams, who I played in the United Kingdom, who I thought was, a, again, an incredibly courageous soul, who sort of said yes to life and love in a really sort of beautiful, affirmative way. Um, it's a very curious chemistry experiment, acting. There's some of you, but it's the sort of, it's the chemistry of you plus X and Y and Z and all the rest of it. So. But basically, it's escapism. Sorry, this gentleman here. I'll go to the back next. The yes, hello there. Um, I was interested to hear you were talking about how difficult it is um, with playing a role where you know so you really sort of become that character, and if it's a very difficult character. And I was um, listening once to Stanley Tucci talking about playing um, the uh, the, lo the lonely bo lovely bones, um, and how oh. that was a really difficult role for him to play because he found that he 
couldn't leave the character at the end of the shoot and literally had to live that life in that character and a very sort of troubled character for that length of time. Just wondered how you deal with that, whether you're able to, you know, when they say cut, that's it, you can leave the character behind or whether you sort of still retain that to those parts. I, I sort of think I do come home and I leave the character behind. My husband thinks differently. <laughs> <laughs> um, so um, it's a, it's, it's, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not sure. Um, I think it does take a while to come back to you fully. Um, and, and certainly in, in this, with this film, The Private War, in reliving some of the experiences that we had in Jordan, I feel it again. You know, so it's, it's locked in your body somewhere, energetically, chemically. It's, it's there. So sometimes I'll find I'm talking about Marie and I'll have tears pouring down my face and I, and I don't know why, really. But somewhere she's touched me very deeply in a way that will, I'll never let go of. And it's a very odd thing to become you know, deeply connected with someone you can never meet. And yet you sort of... And I was describing similarly something about Marie Curie to someone. I was just with a friend of mine in France driving along, asking a question about Marie Curie, and I explained. But out of me came this sort of fierce defense of something in her that, that again, had me in tears. Because it's some, it's, a, it's there's, there's, a, there's an ownership, I suppose, of the feelings that you feel you understand. I, I don't know what it is. It's a, it's a funny business. Um, yeah, but it's a kind of beautiful thing, too. Yeah, it's a, it's a wonderful thing. Um, but I probably, I did do a comedy after these two. I did spend the summer doing a comedy because I sort of thought that was probably sort of mentally important. Yeah. All the, we always yearn to be able to go and do a comedy after <laughs> a film on Syria or Iraq. This lady with the blonde hair there. Um, so you talked about when you were playing the FBI agent that you actually got to go in and speak to FBI agents, and I think that must be terribly exciting to be able to, whatever character you're playing, be able to experience a way of life that you wouldn't necessarily get to experience mm. just from you know our everyday lives. Um, but do you find that kind of impacts you in general that you take away all these different experiences and it you know helps? helps you as a person in some way, or develops you, or along those lines? <laughs> Must have learned a lot of skills over the years, have you? Yeah, I've learned a few things. I mean, I, I, I've learned German, I've learned bits of Arabic, I've learned, um, I've, I've been trained handling a gun, which is not something I'm proud of, but, you know, it's a, I suppose that's a skill. Um, science lessons, I had you know, for, for a private war, I had a tutor come to my house and talk to me about the complexities of the Middle East. You know, I wanted to understand it from someone who'd been in those zones, because I don't, you know, you come to everything with a feeling that you know nothing. You know, you know, reliving, you know, relearning chemistry for Marie Curie, because I, you know, I want to think what she's thinking when she's not talking. I want to know how her brain's working. Um, yes, I mean, the FBI, it's, it's, it's getting beyond, you know, you come into contact with these people, but you're, you know, a bit like the journalist, you're trying to find the truth of them. So with the FBI agents, you ha it takes a while to get past what they want to tell you to what the real truth of, 
of their lives is, you know, everyone has a line about why you become an FBI agent. Like I have a line about why you become an actress, I suppose. And then underneath, you probably keep probing, you come to the real reason, or maybe you never do, but you certainly, um, but it's, you know, it's quite good to know that you've got a few counter-terrorism friends sort of in your phone, you know, that's quite, I mean, I think that's quite cool. You know, I do. I think I think some of the people I've had the privilege of meeting has been have been kind of have been amazing. So you and I um, able to hunt down the fugitive single-handed. I, <laughs> I doubt it. I mean, as always, you know, I'd be hopeless, but I can dream. You know, <laughs> but um, but no, the, the privilege of, of of you know whether it's medical professionals. I mean, there is there is an amazing way that the door opens when you say you're making a film. However, funnily enough, it usually always opens, apart from with this film because the people who really knew Marie at first didn't want to talk about her because the death was too recent and the memory too painful. And so that was an interesting one. And it actually put me in the position of having to behave like Marie and win trust and take long time and gradually you know, make people realize I was okay and my intentions were honorable, you know? Um, it was quite. That's. It was probably because it was so soon after. I think so. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And and, and I think and it's a suspicion around. of a Hollywoodization of yeah. their friend and yeah. somebody co-opting them. You know, their yeah. friend's life to their own ends. And you know, there was absolutely nothing in me that wanted to do that, or in Matthew's mind. I mean, I. Somebody said to me right when we were signing on to the film. Matthew and I were in Cannes trying to get some money together for the film or help get with the financing. And somebody said, oh, this is a terrific role for you. And I just recoiled and I thought, if I think of this as a great role for me, I'm going to screw it up before I've even begun. You know, but I cannot ever think about Marie as a great role, ever. That's so interesting. I mean, what, because it, she is a, it's an obvious thing for people to say. But as hey, I think about her as a role, as a part, as a vehicle for me, I'm going to completely screw the whole thing up. It'll be, it'll have the wrong energy, it won't have the right integrity, it won't have her, her spirit in it, you know. So how would be. you frame it then, if it's not a great rule for you? I hope it's as close as, damn it, to a documentary. And that Matthew got to observe and live with and examine and penetrate Marie as if she was there. That's the aim, you know. And it's it's a sort of selfless undertaking rather than a selfish one, I hope. I think we have time to squeeze in one very last question. And this gentleman has been waiting for ages. Thank you. So <laughs> Thank you. We're about to wrap it up, but please go okay. ahead. Um, did you draw from anything from Zero Dark Thirty for your performance in A Private War, or from any other films like this? How I didn't, because I had that fear that if I looked to films, I wouldn't do what I was hoping to do. So I didn't. I stopped watching films and just watched documentaries. Um, you know that thing that I said that you know, and I was cautioning myself even when playing the FBI agent that if I watch films about the FBI, I will, I'll be derivative of those. Although, probably, <coughs> this role and Jodie Foster in Silence of the Lambs, they they define it, I think, in CIA and FBI. But I think Jodie Foster just that was just a, an absolute masterclass of um, acting. I thought that she was just fantastic as an FBI agent in that. Um, 
but I didn't no, I didn't watch anything for a private war. I just watched endless footage of Marie. That's it. Just, you know, there's a documentary she was part of, five, five female um, journalists called Bearing Witness. Barbara Koppel made a documentary. Um, I had those extracts of Marie on my phone. I'd watched them, and she did a long-form documentary about Oliver North, and then we got in touch with the cameraman who, was, who did Bearing Witness, and he gave us some um, scenes that hadn't made the film. Um, and that was also a kind of great... And then photographs. I just sort of willed all these still photographs that I plastered my trailer with to come to life. And if you stare at a still and an image enough, it does kind of come to life. No, I mean, I sound really batshit crazy, but um, <laughs> it, you can imagine the before and after. Well, it most definitely <clears throat> worked. It most definitely mm. worked. As I say, you've captured her perfectly. I'm afraid we're out of time. Thanks so much, everybody. For coming. Thank you so much for coming, and thank you so much. I hope you Rosamund. enjoyed the film. And thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you.